Welcome to the podcast. Join Nate and Mike, lifelong friends, as they discuss stocks and investing. The name says it all. This This is is Two Buds Buds Talk Talk Stocks. Stocks. All opinions expressed by Nate and Mike are their own. Please do not buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome to the pod. We are live. It's been a minute, Mike. How are you doing these days? I'm doing good, man. Falls in the air. You know that crispness? Feel the breeze, right? Yeah. It starts to drop a little bit, but it's still nice. It's like I always say, fall is a great season, but it's like the shortest of all of them. Well, I, I think you you don't have to say that people, it falls. Or, when people are like, fall is my favorite uh, season. It's like, well, no kidding. Like, what are you going to take? Spring? Winter? Well, so, I mean... I mean, a lot of people that uh, they love winter. I mean, whether it's the uh, the the snow sports or uh, in summertime, uh, water time activities uh, where I am man, boating is huge in the summertime and uh, skiing's big in the winter. Well, I mean, like, how are you ranking yours? Uh, I'm ranking fall one. Whoa, shocker. <laughs> spring two. Springs uh, two. Yeah. Uh, summer Spring's three. the worst of them. Uh, okay, I'm go talking ahead. Talking like go a ahead. nice May day where, again, it's still it's still warm, but it's not brutally hot yet. Uh, I'm taking that second, uh, summer's third, and then winter's fourth. So it's just because every place that I've been in the winter, it's always brutally cold and snow. I'm actually changing. I'm going fall one, Mm -hmm. winter two. I love the snowboarding. Um, I love the winter vibe, football, Christmas. Uh, Well, Christmas really, I could care care less about. Sorry, but. Um, then summer lately, the older I get, ah, no, I'm going summer to winter three close. Cause the older I get, the more, it, it sounds like you would just make this a, uh, equal weighted ETF. If you could do the seasons, yeah. you'd be looking equal weight, 25% each and call it done. Well, well no, I'd probably do. Yeah. I, I, I hate spring because <laughs> spring is you can't snowboard. You really can't do summer stuff. And um, it snows all the time and it's always overcast and it's freezing. It's kind of like winter 2.0. Um, it's the anyway. classic tweener in basketball. He can handle the rock. He can shoot from outside, but he can't guard the low post. I mean, what are you going to do? Tweener? Any of the people that were listening, we've already lost them all. Huh? <laughs> well, like we say, this is more for you and I anyways. It's therapeutic. All right. I'm going to start out with the big news. Cisco, $28 billion in cash buying Splunk. I have a friend who's actually kind of in the, that world. And he says that they got a really good deal on that, that he thinks in his opinion, Splunk's worth more like 55 billion. Mm-hmm. And that companies now like venture capitalist companies are actually upset because now their company right off the bat isn't worth as much. It's kind of like the complete opposite in football where a uh, wide receiver gets this huge contract. Now everyone else's money goes up those wide receivers. And it's, it's the reverse uh, of that yeah. where they paid 28 billion. They're probably worth more than that. It's all cash deal. And those are the companies I like to, to, to hold. I know you're not a big Cisco guy, huge dividend. And for them just to be able to write a check for 28 billion, mm-hmm. To, to get all that cybersecurity exposure and with what Splunk can offer, um, it's pretty cool. I'm pumped. Yeah, as I, I didn't know all the details of this. Um, I think I mentioned it in the pod back in the day too. I used to own Splunk for a while in, a, in an old um, account I had for uh, for my, uh, my Roth IRA. And then eventually I transferred brokerage account and it was shares that were just uh, sold off. So I got cash for it then. But um, I just remember this was long before I ever really did a lot of research and just if I heard a cool company and I liked the idea. And as I recall, uh, they work with a lot of data scraping, right? It's the idea of you're a company and you sell something, you want to find which customer to market to or what marketing's working, that type of thing. They can just take large data sets from databases and they can just scrape the information. And uh, well, there's a bunch. I mean, they're also uh, big on network security. Um, and so the merger really, it's going to, really boost Cisco's top line, improve cash flow, you know, gross margins. I mean, the big thing with Splunk is they, uh, they're big on like detect cyber attacks, insider threats in a business operation. Um, so that just 
that's what's great about Cisco. Like we've talked about before where, you know, sometimes I say, why don't you just make your own Uber? Right. Mm -hmm. And instead they realize they just can't compete and they just go out and buy it. It's the biggest acquisition they've ever had. Um, I know mm -hmm. they've done some couple small ones, but 20 billion cash and their dividend. That's, those are the kind of companies I like. I know it hasn't been, uh, it's, you know, not this huge growth company or it's not been a high flyer and it's been kind of a bit of a dud for the last, um, you know, probably three years. I mean, you could probably even say 20 years. Ever since, uh, uh, I mean, it would say the crash of the, uh, the dot-com uh, bubble. I mean, they were yep. at one time the biggest company in the world. I mean, $500 billion in 2000. I don't know if you address for inflation what that would be in today's dollars, but that was huge. But I mean, the same way at one point where Zoom was like uh, twice as big as ExxonMobil during the pandemic, I would look back then and say, wow, Cisco compared to Exxon or other companies that were um, profitable. And I didn't follow Cisco closely then, so I don't know if it was profitable, but Here's the thing, if you held those shares, you would have done all right. And if you were adding to them along the way, as you said, with the uh, dividend, it's probably still been a, uh, a market beater if you consistently were adding to the position and reinvesting those dividends. Well, and I know AI is the big thing. And now they AI enabled solutions. That's what Spunk, um, Splunk, excuse me. That's really what they, that's another thing that they're great at as well too. And so now this immensely boosts Cisco's AI driven service offerings. So if you want a little bit more, this is what, what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to sell you on anything with Cisco. If you want more AI exposure with low risk, that's why I like Cisco. Because you, it's not like NVIDIA where there's no valuation. I'm sorry, I own NVIDIA. It's It could be up 30%. It could be down 45%. You, it's trading at 413 right now, I believe. It could be trading at 250 in two weeks. It could. And so I kind of like this way of getting a little bit more AI exposure, huge dividend, great company. And yeah, you, you it's trading at $53 a share right now. It might be trading at, it's not going to hit 70 anytime soon, but then it's also not going to hit $15 anytime soon either. I mean, there's a place in a well-diversified portfolio. I mean, I, I, I've been uh, thinking about this a lot lately, the idea of uh, diversification and what point diversification becomes diversification that if you're spread out too much, then basically you're ensuring that you're probably maybe going to do as well as the market or in some cases less than the market. But I would also say it depends on on where you are in your, your stage of investing as well as where you are in life. If you're younger and you have plenty of time, then maybe Cisco wouldn't fit, but if you're older and you're starting to think about the uh, golden years, that would be a good stock. And I think we're somewhere in the middle too. So like you, um, Cisco just isn't my choice, but I would say things like uh, Comcast or the equivalent of uh, Cisco in, in my portfolio. It's something that is just not going to grow top line revenue extremely fast. It's always going to have a lot of capital expenditures, but you can count on that key, uh, that that free cash flow and consistently trying to raise the dividend and, and buy back shares. Um, or make acquisitions along the way that are that are tuck in. And as I said, I didn't know this deal too much, but it sounds like that's what Cisco, if you look at it objectively, is what they're doing with this this Splunk purchase. And and, you, and I know you're going to hate this um, buy, sell, and hold. But if I'm doing like Intel, IBM, Cisco, I'm buying Cisco. I'm holding Cisco, and I'm selling Intel, IBM, and I'll throw Oracle in there for what measure. I'm just getting at. I think when you're looking at at that type of a space, and I like companies that are, you know, you know, we're always bagging on Disney, but Disney's not going out and making changes and trying to, you know, spend twenty eight billion dollars in cash and even be more profitable in the future. The deal goes down in September of next year, and um, I like it. I'll just I mean, leave it at that. Buy, sell, or hold. It was Cisco, Intel, and uh, IBM. IBM. I I would. I would buy uh, Cisco in that scenario too, um, and I would, I would hold on to Intel and I would sell IBM. But it's not even like I'd really. I mean, Intel. I think maybe the worst of it is over now that they've uh, cut uh, cut the dividend and they're trying to um, turn the ship around. But I mean, that's a huge ship, so it's going to take a while. But IBM these days, it just to me, it doesn't have an appeal. But just back to what I was saying before, I mean, if 
you invested in IBM 20, 30, 40 years ago, and you're still holding that and collecting a dividend, that's probably generating a nice source of uh, um, income for you. I was talking, I asked the Opa, the Oracle, I said, mm -hmm. have you ever seen, he's got, we'll say uh, 40 years of uh, investing experience. I said, have you ever seen anything close to NVIDIA? And he said, yes, IBM was the same way in the sixties. It just, you know, was a 10 X and it just was, a, it was a monster and a beast in the sixties. And that's what people are still hanging on to it. That's why it's still probably in the Dow. It's, um, this gets to the thing too, where we, we can, I mean, look back to the, the dot com bubble and look at the companies that have survived that. And, um, they have done pretty well, uh, whether it's, uh, amazon.com or, um, or, uh, booking formerly Priceline and, mm -hmm. um, Cisco. If you look back at the charts, it's probably crazy to look at some of those that were doubling uh, year over year. So I can see that that was IBM at one point, but I would also probably say that there was probably a point where Walmart looked like that, or maybe even uh, McDonald's. I mean, we look at these companies now as these stalwart blue chips that just produce consistent cash flows and pay consistent dividends that are raising. But at one time, they were probably considered extreme growth companies. Uh, I remember reading in the... Um, like in Buffett's, um, the biography snowball talking about uh, GM at one point that he was really looking at it because the auto industry was still really growing at that time. And it was just um, doubling. And it's just hard for me to imagine. I was like, wow, GM at one point was was a company that was was like doubling revenues every, every year. So I don't know where I was going with that other than to say too that, um, yeah, every company probably has that. And when you look back past, it's not quite clear. And when we're looking at companies like NVIDIA, that that's all said and done in 20 plus years time, 30 years time, that maybe it is some just stalwart blue chip that is not growing like it is now. But I mean, well, it's funny you brought up Walmart and um, I make bad trades as much as anyone else does. And, uh, you know, I was complaining that Walmart was stagnant at 152 for 155 forever it mm -hmm. feel, felt like and now it's trading at 162 with their 1.41% dividend and i kind of shifted to target and target's hands down the worst performing stock in my portfolio mm -hmm. it's not even close i mean we're trading at $112 a share uh you know i remember gobbling shares up at 220 mm -hmm. and so it's kind of I know you, you, and I'm not trying to give you a hard time by any means, but like we talk about the runway, right? Well, the runway for Target, you know, the, right now the market cap is 51 billion. Um, Walmart, the, the the market cap, you know, is at, uh, you know, 436 billion. Does it really have that runway we talked about? But I mean, what, what are they down? 35% year to date? Target? And um, it's been tough. It, you spread it out even longer than year to date. The last year or so, it's it's down even more. I mean, they've run into a lot of headwinds, whether it's stuff that's self-inflicted or, I mean, I thought they were the first retailer that was kind of honest and about uh, uh, things like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's not churn, but it's basically with it, the, just the word they use for 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 theft, whether it's their own employees uh um, stealing from from the back room or other things. And after they addressed that, I think Walmart addressed too that it is an issue for them and other retailers. So I uh, I don't know how long it'll turn around, but I mean, I do think that Target is enough of an iconic retailer that will be around. And if you were buying those shares at $220 and they have a 3% dividend and they continue to keep that dividend and it keeps growing that Which they at do. some point, those $220 shares, the, the cost basis isn't going to look nearly as high, but that's probably a long time away. And I still remember, I mean, I still think that you and I, our journey of investing in stocks started roughly probably around 2006 is when we first started talking or probably 2005, I would say. So yep. we did. And in the scheme of thing, that seems like a long time. But it hasn't even been 20, 20 years, which it sometimes just, uh, it, it just messes with my mind to think that we've been doing this for a long time. And then when we start talking about companies that have been uh, publicly traded uh, or raising their dividends for well over 50 years, it's just like, we, we still got a, a, a long runway to go ourselves as far as our investing journey. Well, and I'll say here from November 8th, 2021 until now, 
targets down 56 percent wow. um, that is walmart we're going to try to do something similar we'll go from i mean if you go walmart till november 2021 10 percent it's a big difference. Now, the other one that yes. I put in here, and as you know, this is one we've done uh, buy, sell, and hold on that I fit yep. fits right there is uh, is Costco. And this is the one that's actually my favorite. Now, when you look at it on the valuation metrics too, it looks expensive, but Costco has always looked expensive, um, but also okay, so quality companies tra trade at a premium. They are, It's a very, very well-run company. And every time I look at Costco, I just feel good about owning it and knowing that almost every time I, I put a little more in, I'm probably buying it at a higher price, but I still just, it feels- Well, that's, I mean, good. so we said 9% for Walmart. Mm -hmm. We said uh, minus 50, uh, negative 56% for Target. Um, October, 2021 to now, Costco, mm -hmm. what do you got? Um, I would think it's probably outpaced- uh, Walmart a little bit. So I'll just say double that, maybe somewhere between 18 and 20% overall return. Well, 13%. All right. So, yeah. And they're still increasing their dividend. I own uh, Costco. You want, I'll tell you the company, or go ahead. I felt like a, I, I was just going to say one Costco? of the things too that I actually really think is quite uh, impressive. I was uh, reading up on them more. And uh, one of the things that Costco always does is they cap their gross margins at, um, they try to cap it at around 11%. And when you look at every other um, retailer that's in that space, we'll put them in kind of in the um, general discount store or grocery type. Um, margins are razor thin there. So companies are always looking for ways to cut costs to increase that gross margin. But what um, Costco has always done, even going back to their price club days in the 80s, is just saying that if we ever go above 12% with our gross margins, it's not going to be good for, for our, our customers. It's if we have to raise our prices, it's going to make it more expensive. So they've just done things with their business model, like try to raise the price on membership by adding more uh, features to the membership. But really that's where the the bulk of uh, their revenue comes from is from the membership fees. And it is interesting to just think about a retailer or just any company that just never wants to grow their gross margins. Because when you think about what gross margins are, it's kind of like a built-in moat that Buffett talks about. The higher those margins are, it probably means the more of a moat you have around your company or your product. It's just an interesting way to think about Costco. Well, and they still have this huge presence of online that they haven't tapped into. Yep. Did I say that the right way? I mean, they don't really yep. have an online presence. If you start to really mm -hmm. figure out once they start tapping on to their online presence, and I, I, what I like about Costco is I like, and that's sometimes what makes me um, nervous a little bit about Amazon is, you know, with Costco, it's, you can, it's the old, is it the Peter Lynch where you can explain or Warren, maybe it's the Warren Buffett, you feel free to correct me, where you can explain how people make their money and you can explain the business model. Costco, you can do that, mm -hmm. right? It's, it gets a little muddied sometimes with Amazon and I'm, I'm a shareholder, I'm a believer in Amazon. You know, there's one of those those stocks where on paper they are negative cash flow, right? Um, obviously, you know, just taking a quick look, at, that's what I love about the simplicity of Costco, right? There is something there with that, something that kind of puts your mind at ease a little bit, knowing exactly what they do, and you don't have to worry about, um, you know, some entity of theirs that all of a sudden, like that's why I like uh, Visa and Mastercard. We've talked about because they will they they only take money, they don't lend it. Yeah. And sometimes you have other companies, other entities were discovered, could be one of them, where all of a sudden there's a $10 billion loan loss that you weren't even aware of. Sometimes I feel like you you have the the idea that that could happen more with an Amazon. Um, but like if you're looking at Costco right now, I mean, you know, we talked about cash flow before, 5.8 billion is their cash flow. I mean, that's pretty good. That's their free cash flow, five point eight billion. Um, yeah, they have total debt. You know, is coming in at nine billion. But you know, when you look at the numbers of Amazon, it's harder to to, to sometimes read their income and balance sheets. It's very straightforward with a Costco. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of why I like that. With uh, um, and that maybe we could talk about this company a little bit. I think feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. This is FedEx had a great quarter. Yeah, as I didn't a shareholder look too deep in the numbers, but yes, I heard this too. Like I'm not a, for me, for quarters, I, I don't look at it for like a pop, like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm up 10%. I, 
I look at it like, are they going to cut the dividend? Which they didn't. Um, are they on track to actually have a profitable company? Like, how are their expectations? Um, FedEx is a good example where um, are they actually taking a market share of yellow trucking, right? Um, are they, you know, that's what I look for when I'm actually seeing some of their, um, you know, they they beat their, their, their quarter. Um, and so FedEx is an example where we were talking about buying those shares when they were at $145, $180 of, I was buying those shares. And here we are at 261. It got a price target of 288 recently from, I believe, Wells Fargo. And I'm not a big price target guy, but I do like it that when price targets are going up, quarters are good, dividends safe. Because remember, they increased their dividend, right? By what? 50%? They they increased it a lot. What was it? And we thought with the new CEO, you know, they were he they were gonna actually lower it when they had those awful quarters and they didn't. The um, the thing too, and uh that I was reading about their their earnings report is they mentioned too, and you mentioned this with uh with uh yellow trucking. I don't know how much of their business, but one of the things that they said, I think, is they estimated that they had a pretty big windfall from the last quarter because of um the um the union negotiations that were going on with uh with UPS. Yep. Yeah, deal that their union signed where I can't remember what the dollar amount that it's gonna equivalent to for 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 each uh, UPS uh employee, but there was talk that uh, a lot of companies during that time were not sure how those negotiations were going to go. So they just switched to their business to um, FedEx. And this kind of gets what you're saying too, is that the one thing that makes me nervous about FedEx is that last 50% jump with their dividend increase. As a shareholder, I like it. But one of the things I've also noticed is that FedEx, again, is it probably is a better example of a bellwether company. You can really get a feel for how the economy is doing based on their their numbers of, of uh, shipping EDP's and delivery. the same way. Right? Yeah, shipping and delivering. And I would hate to just think that uh, you're just thinking that uh, this is this is going to be good and how it's going because you're only one basically recession away, um, one pandemic away from really affecting the business. So I hope the new CEO um, works with the CFO and I'd like to see him continue to raise the dividend, but not huge jumps and also yes. account for stuff like the last quarter, right. we got a huge windfall because maybe uh, people ship their, their, their packages to us because of not knowing what uh, UPS is going to do or, or yellow, but you can't factor that in every quarter. So I just would rather see a more conservative uh, cash management. Yep. But it was good nonetheless. Yeah. Um, something else too. Okay. This, you know, we were talking that speaking of this, so one last point too, and I'm curious yeah. to see next quarter. Cause that's the one we should be going into that um, for people like, uh, or for companies like FedEx for UPS, that's the biggest quarter with the holiday season too. And I think I just heard a report. Um, I have to have uh, producer Tom go back and double check this too, but I think that Amazon is going to be increasing their wage for, for temp holiday workers across the board during the holiday season, everything from people that are working in the warehouses, pulling packages, but I think also for delivery drivers too. So that's something that, um, and when you think about the large macro trends that I would keep an eye on too, as far as how that's going to affect um, margins for for FedEx and their and their package delivery going into what is probably the, the biggest quarter of the year for them too. Well, tell me what you see or what you hear on that, and we can always discuss it as well. Going back to an original point I was talking about where I'm I'm not a big, you know, I, there are no numbers to support this, but I really don't like to own companies where I'm always afraid that someone could just go out and make the exact same version and maybe even do it better. And um, I think one of the best examples I have to date went public last week. You know who that is? Uh, the Instacart, yes. Instacart. I'm like, no, thank you. Hard I, pass. Uh, I was looking at this a little bit too, and um, it did surprise me that they actually are cash flow positive because, like you, I just thought this fit in the space too. It's just this is um, whether we're talking about ride sharing or food delivery or um, yep. commissions on stock trades, it's a race to to, to zero. All it takes is. Um, one competitor to start uh, lowering their their costs and um, then it follows suit. So I kept thinking about that too. And um, like you, I just, I don't have anything against Instacart. Those that are invested in it, I wish them well. I wish the company well, but it just, 
I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that this is a company that is going to continue to grow market share over time because it does right. seem like it is such a competitive uh, industry. It's so incompetitive. I mean, Uber Eats, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, we talk about Costco. All of a sudden, Costco has their own fleet of cars, yeah. their own delivery service. You know, I just... Instacart to me, it's, I'm trying to find a good example off the top of my head, but it's like Instacart. I mean, we, you know, take Kroger, for example, I use mm -hmm. Instacart with Kroger brands. Yeah. They're a big enough company. They just can't make their own Kroger brand, Kroger yeah. delivery. I mean, you, you see where I'm going with this. So no, I would say too the, um, if you really want to type, maybe this is a good example of what you're saying too, is that um, if you think about somebody like uh, Uber Eats, just the actual food delivery part and um, uh, DoorDash and uh, Grubhub, Domino's doesn't partner with them because they have their own delivery network right. in place. And why would they give up their customer information and do that? And if you're looking at Kroger, if they, if they wanted to, could they uh, design something in-house or maybe Disney wanting to make their own streaming platform or something. It's companies that have the big enough resources that if they wanted to, I feel that they could uh, steal market share if they really yes. invested it instead of partnering too. And companies like that, it gets back to the whole idea of a moat. I'd rather have a company that had some sort of moat and I just don't see it with any sort of delivery service as far as food, packages, um, I guess packages with things like FedEx and UPS, those are are far bigger, but yeah, just, it's hard for me to envision a world where in 20 years from now, yes, that, we're going to be like, God, man, we missed the boat on Instacart. How did, how did right. we miss the boat? And I mean, we could be wrong. Maybe there is something, but it'll be interesting. It's an interesting time, right? Because well, we're it could in the be something where producer Tom's going to flag this. So in 20 years, he'd be like, uh, uh, remember. But it could also yeah. be something like we might be talking about in 20 years, but it could be they stumble across a, a form of revenue that they weren't aware of. And then that becomes like the new, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, you know, I mean, you know, Berkshire, they, they don't do textiles, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But they kept the name kind of thing. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like Instacart maybe stumbles across something, but I don't think it's going to be, if they're going to be around in 20 years, it's because they're still delivering groceries. I mean, you know. maybe this is the equivalent of the dot-com boom again when people are looking at companies like Amazon or Priceline and we're trying to figure out, is the internet really going to revolutionize right. uh, how we buy goods and services or how we book our airfare and our hotel stays? And uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say that at this point too, companies That's like- dot-com, wasn't that the big one? That was a big one. And you know what? Here's right. This is actually, I just, just heard this the other day and it was kind of like, ooh, an aha moment is that- Pets.com was not wrong. They were just too early because this right. is what Chewy, this is what Chewy is. Chewy is pet.com. Right. And by all accounts, they actually are I mean, they make uh, cash flow too. They're just in turn reinvesting it in the in the business. So yeah, Instacart could be like that, but it's just I think there's so many other businesses out there, so many other industries and sectors that I think we can see a clearer path for growth. And for continuing to increase revenues and and cash flows, so for me, it's not that I don't like the company, hate it. It's just I don't touch, and that's maybe this is us becoming more like Buffett too. Know your circle of competence, right? Exactly, and that's kind of going where I would rather buy X amount of dollars of of Cisco, FedEx, and um. Uh, United Health. I've been adding to yeah. that a lot too, because I think in 20 years, those three are going to be around. Mm -hmm. Now you're right that we could be looking at a, a hundred X on in an Instacart. You know, I know you were talking about before that book you're reading about uh, saying those companies that become like, yeah, hundred, hundred to one. Yeah. Ones. I mean, that, that could be one of them as well too. Um, I just, and it's tough. I, I think I just keep going back to maybe the last IPO that really was successful for me was Starbucks. But like take Rivion, for example. I mean, Rivion went public at $149. You and I both want nothing to do with it. It's trading at $20. Mm -hmm. Now, it could be that we look back in 10 years and it's trading at $400 a share, right? Instacart's the same thing. It's trading at $30. It could be trading at $5 in six, seven, eight months. IPOs, I think companies it's good when you know it's a healthy market when the companies go public i just feel and i don't have any numbers to back this up i feel like companies are going public a little bit prematurely 
I don't well, that know. Also, I mean, really, companies are going public far, far less. I mean, the fact that I mean, yeah. you just don't hear about big IPOs every every week or every month now. And part of this too, and during the pandemic, I think there was a rush of companies going um, public and especially at high valuations. The two being that I can think of off the top of my head were uh, Airbnb and uh, uh, Coinbase. Although Coinbase wasn't really an IPO, it was just letting private holders share their sell their shares on the on the open market but you look at those extreme valuations and by all accounts from what i read too instagram was priced far more modestly it wasn't at the height but i also say too i remember reading something too that says if you are on board with a a company um when it goes and you when it's it's public and you want to buy it is that if you wait within the first six to twelve months let a couple earnings reports actually come out and yeah, so many companies yeah. will drop far below and um, you don't own Facebook anymore, but this was true with, with Facebook. It went public at a valuation within a year. It was trading at half the price of what it went public for at roughly $40. And I would not be surprised if Instagram is the same thing. Would it go public Instacart. around 30? Yeah, Instacart, would it go public well, at 30 Well, I think there was a huge, there was a 20% bump. And then it came, it, I saw too it, something, it came back down pretty close to the IPO price and um yeah, it just if you wait and actually see in three months' time when they when they replace the when they put out their first uh, report and their second one, and there's a good chance that it might go down. But you could see that like yeah, they're doing the right things, but these are just part of the growing pains of a a young company and one that is just newly public. All right, so what about buy, sell, and hold? And I kind of cheated on my Cisco buy, sell, and hold because I picked it twice, so I I shouldn't do that anymore. You got to do got to buy, sell, and hold. We're sticking to the game. No more of this. Talking to myself. <laughs> DoorDash. Oof. You got ten thousand bucks, and you have to have keep it invest. I'm putting a, a caveat: yeah. ten thousand bucks for five years. You got to buy, sell, and hold. All right. DoorDash, Uber, Instacart. Oof. Um, I would say that the one that um where's this is a buy sell and hold you said or just pick buy one sell and hold oh i would buy uber and i would not feel great about it but uber passes two of our our benchmarks in that it is a verb and it passes the snap test if uber it was had gone, a good quarter i think it yeah. had its first i think they really are to, yeah they're quarter to that ever? cash flow yeah. so um, and I wouldn't even really feel good about that, but it does pass two mm -hmm. tests and I, I think it'll be around. Um, and then from there, I guess I got a hold at this point, just seeing that Instacart is somewhat was uh profitable already. I would hold that and DoorDash. I think again, is just, I remember seeing it's just how, how little money they actually make when you chop up all the fees and everything to drive yeah. to the restaurant. It's just like, how is this business model viable? But the fact too, that, all customers, I love the saying it was the it was the Grubhub guy. I can't think of a CEO, but he had the best statement about this. Like once in his his quarterly uh report, he was just like, It turns out our customers are promiscuous. They don't stick to anyone. Whoever has the restaurant I want, whoever has the coupon I want at that point, and that holds true for me. I could care less if it's DoorDash, if it's Grubhub, if it's Uber Eats, it is what is available and easiest. So I yeah, for that reason, I just I don't. I'm see sticking. How I'm agreeing with you 100. I think if I really had to buy one now, uh, that would be a tough buy. I would definitely do Uber. I think they're more established. They actually are having better quarters. It is that verb. I I could see Uber and Lyft merging together, and it's going to be a lot more successful than when Sirius and XM merged or whatever. Who cares about that kind of stuff? Um, I would definitely. Um, hold Instacart and I'm selling DoorDash because DoorDash is like the first thing that I cut out of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't pay $35 for like, like in and out delivery service. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like either, I don't care how much money you have. It's just, and it, it could be, it could be delayed. Like we had one quick story. My son really wanted the Mr. Beast burger. Well, yeah, you guys got a uh, the got Mr. Beast down there too. Yeah, no, they right. don't. They actually they, they you they DoorDash picks it up from Bread Lobster. Okay. So literally, we order the door. This is where I'm like, I don't care how good their numbers are, I'll never order it. So we 
order the beast burger. The guy like driver a agrees to go get it. Driver a is like literally pulling into the parking lot at, cause we figured, Oh, it's that red lobster. That's mm -hmm. where they make the burgers. I guess that's like the, where the beast, Mr. Beast burger is done. He literally, I, for, for, to make this story simpler, I could have just said I was ordering, um, uh, red, red Robin. Anyway, the guy literally pulls into the parking lot and then just cancels the order. <laughs> and then the new guy, then they give That's it messed to up. <laughs> DoorDash B and the guy's 20 minutes away. So by the time we got it, it was like 45 minutes away. Wow. And this it's like, is... look, I understand Uber can do the same thing. Like they're pulling into your house and they just cancel. Yeah. But there's a difference of pain for a item to be delivered to you. And I'm just like, you don't give me, I can't get the free burger or like it's, the guy just canceled. Like, I think if you, if you went through the actual, if you went to DoorDash, uh, they would probably reimburse or make this right or do something. But I've also right. found too, that this is my, this is also one of my um, problems with um, newer, newer uh, tech companies like this, whether it is Uber or Lyft or, or DoorDash or whoever, they don't make it easy to get a hold of customer service. No, everything God. is is pushed through the app, and it's usually things like messaging and chat. And if you work hard enough, there's there's toll free numbers to get a hold of uh, customer service, but nothing seems convenient and easy about this. And this is also, I would say. Um, you can extrapolate this and spread this to the fintech space. There's so many online banks now. And um, on one hand, you're getting this trade-off that maybe you get a better interest rate and you get no fees or whatever. But the things I will say about Chase and Wells Fargo is that it's not hard to pick up to find the, the toll-free number call and get a person on the phone 24 hours a day. Now, maybe that's not going to be something that's resolved quickly. But that's the other thing too that I think is, I don't know if DoorDash factors this in, but he said there was... Like the dude just canceled my my thing right when he was there. That's not cool. It's like, now it's I have to wait that, 45 minutes. It's like it, if they would make it right, but it's not easy to get a hold and, and do that. Yeah, it's just more like I don't I don't want to get any even more irritated. Exactly. But, and um yeah, so that's this a is, bad bite. Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say this is one of the things too that I think is challenging about all this stuff too, is that technology on the one hand is great because it can make things more seamless or easier or less fees or whatever. But the trade-off there too, a lot of times I've found is good old fashioned customer service, being able to pick up the phone and call somebody and be like, Hey, I'm having this problem. How, how do I fix it? Or can you help me? It's just, oh, it's sometimes. Well, it's and just... I think too, I, maybe I'll get some pushback, but the majority of people that are using DoorDash or Grubhub are lazy. Okay. Well, they're also finish. younger too. So they probably don't, ever have anything to compare now, it to is there a you know rn like a nurse who needs it who just got it done with the 12-hour shift she's going to volunteer for eight hours and you know she's using it because her time why i'm sure there's exceptions I'm, I'm not saying that but for the most part it's like i'm just picturing a guy in sweatpants on the couch you know maybe he's consuming marijuana doesn't want to leave <laughs> the couch doesn't want to get in the car orders like McDonald's being delivered. And that's like, I, you know, unlike I always use the Starbucks example that doesn't matter what your race or sexual orientation or who you are, you're, you're going to Starbucks, you're getting mm -hmm. coffee, whether you're old, young in high school, you, the demographic for who people who consume coffee, it's just, it's endless. I feel like there's just a niche for those people that are ordering the Grubhub, right? You well, see what especially, I'm getting? Especially, I would say it caters to, younger people if i if i had to guess overall yeah it probably works a lot better in real metropolitan areas um cities right. like uh, new york city or san francisco or whatever right. but i also would say too that the fact that you've used uh doordash recently and i have and there's been times and this is like the same thing that kind of why mcdonald's has an appeal there's always going to be some parent 
that has a, a minivan full of kids and just pick them up from practice or, or father. And it's just like, man, I really don't want to go home and worry about cooking dinner. McDonald's drive throughs right there. Happy meals for everybody. And now you can just do the same thing at home where it's just like, oh, I wasn't not thinking this. I wasn't prepared. We don't have anything in the fridge. Maybe we order a pizza or two. But the, or the food. cost, you're paying for yes. that. So for you and I, I feel like that's not my everyday thing. There's just times where I do like having things like that where it's just something doesn't work out or time's a constraint or whatever. And yes, having the freedom, the flexibility and the money to do so. But I would say that there probably is or are people out there that, as you said, every day, every meal, whether they're at work or at home is probably just being delivered from food services. And um, I don't know if it speaks to laziness or if it just is a generation that if that's all you've known is you are becoming into a point of being an adult. So, but either way you look at it, I don't think that with just the three competitors. I don't competitors think I'm going to get hate mail grow. from the uh Well, they should. Let's, people, they might we'll like, leave it to the listeners. Yes, you know how to get a hold of us. They might maybe do a draft and then be like, eh, forget. I'll just have AI send it. <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, but we're going to say this too. This is right in what's the other company? I don't even know. I think they've been delisted, the delisted now. Blue Apron was. Oh, yeah. This is basically that one is just the same thing. All you've done is just like, we're going to take out the uh, real unhealthy fast food burgers and fries, and we're going to send you the little ribeye with the sliced potatoes and carrots, and you can just put it in the oven yourself and put the garlic on it and everything. It turns out who it's the same thing. You have a house full of kids or whatever. You've worked all day. You don't want to just preheat the oven to 350 to do this. You're just like, man, I'm ready to eat right now. So this I put those companies in the same thing, the food delivery, the meal prep. So maybe like it does speak do overall to just we're lazy. We got to do some different buy, sell, and holds. They've been duds today, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm hitting you with IBM, Intel, Cisco, and yeah. then we're doing DoorDash. I mean, we got to let, let's let's happened to the good up. old days when we had AT&T on the list every time. Yeah, I mean, like, what's next? Uh, Disney, AT&T, and Instacart. All right, let's, let's do some fun ones. All right. How about um, what well, you, you probably file this more than me? I I'm not a, I'm not a Nike guy. I, I get why you would be. Um, they they reported they didn't have a good report, right? Um, did they they the report next week or, or they like reported last week? And, what's that? They, um, did they report last week or they report next week? Uh, upcoming. Ooh, I'd I know it's coming. Check. I, I think um, top of my head. I think it's coming. Oh, it's coming this week. Yes. Um, Nike again is. I don't know where it stands, how much it's down. Maybe it's in the target territory of over the course of the uh, last year or so, down 50%. Um, all sorts of uh, headwinds with Nike, but it's uh, an established brand. I love how recently they really focused on juicing the uh, dividend. So um, if Nike goes down even more, I would look at that as a opportunity come uh, October. I try to just... Minimize now and juice through buys once a month. Uh, come come October when I'm buying, I would put a little more money towards Nike. So they're down forty six percent. Do you know what we have? Here's what I want to talk about real quick. Is this is one of the stories? Like I can't think and tell me maybe Apple, Crocs, mm -hmm. right? I think we talked about this a little bit before, but my son's like back into Crocs like little like not to, not tokens but the little things you put in the shoes or whatever they are um and it's so funny crocs was that back in 04 so like in july of 06 crocs was trading at 12 dollars a share mm -hmm. it was that in the hop thing was trading at 67 dollars a share right that's what six five x right then it went back down to a dollar 20 a share mm -hmm. It pretty much was a novelty. Novelty wore off. They didn't go bankrupt, which I'm surprised they didn't. I'm surprised they didn't get bought by Nike for pennies on the dollar or Reebok or whatever the case may be. You know, you go to 2015 trading at $11 a share, all went all the way up to November $164, and now they're at $86 a share. That's pretty impressive if you look at the tra trajectory of it's been what they've the done place. as a company. I mean, Apple's I the only other company that's done that, right? Had those numbers? I mean, NVIDIA has been all over the place. I mean, yeah. it's uh, that um, right. too. And trying to, I guess, separate the share price from from the, the business. 
mean, I've never looked at Crocs that closely, but I know as of recent, they actually are profitable. And um, it's actually a turnaround story from where I remember them being in the um, kind of in the mid 2010s, like circa 2005, 2006. It was just that's when it seemed more gimmicky and everybody would get their their Crocs for fashion or whatever it was. And how it died and came back. But yeah, in video, that's what I'm saying, it's the same because NVIDIA, when it went public, you know, if you're looking at, you know, it, it, I'm, what I'm getting is they went up from $3 a share to $67 a share, came crater to a dollar a share. NVIDIA was like $2 in 2010, three, four, six, you know, it really didn't have its first bump until it went up to $326 in 2021, cratered and came back. It's not like NVIDIA was 10 years ago, a dying, you know, it had this huge pop, went away almost extinct, and then came roaring back like like the chart of Crocs did, you know. And I'm not I'm not I'm not buying Crocs. I'm just saying it's pretty amazing when you look at how they were a fad and they st stuck around somehow and then came back to being a fad again. Here's what's interesting too about when you talk about NVIDIA is that their stock price is all over, huge swings up and down. But the yep. company itself, I mean, even over the course of probably the last 10 years or so, has um, been consistently increasing its its revenue, its its earning per share, its free cash flow. And there's times where it has spiked more. And um in the during the uh, pandemic, I want to say it went up huge, and this was based on the idea that uh, cryptocurrency was also going up, and people were trying to mine. Uh, yeah, twenty one. So maybe we can go even further back when they started making GPUs uh, processors for for computer video games. That it went up, and then the same idea with uh, mining cryptocurrency, and it did. And um, now I would say we're kind of we're in this too with um, AI. And with uh, with with quant computing too, so Nvidia is just seems like again it's why I still like the company, but it's hard to justify buying it at these valuations. But if you listen to Jensen Long, it's just like we just keep doing our thing. We make semiconductors, we make GPUs, we make quant computers. The technology changes it, and our product is just going along with it. And there's these little bubbles that form. And right now, I would say with the AI is is why they're doing it. But it's not that. Um, that NVIDIA has ever switched their business model and say, now we're just going to go totally all in at AI as technology just keeps changing around them. Their products just keep fitting, whether it's putting processors in cars, computers, gaming units, uh, building data centers, whatever else. So a little side tangent did, on, did we on just, NVIDIA. Did we just compare NVIDIA to Crocs? Well, in a weird way that out. I don't think Crocs is, I mean, yeah, it's just, they just keep making those rubber shoes and uh, sometimes people buy them, sometimes people don't. <laughs> like like sometimes you need a gpu and a computer and so, sometimes you don't but i'm still up huge with nvidia i love it man i uh i haven't sold any more of it but i was basically i did it's just as it kept going up i kept thinking just like oh, i'm gonna take a little off the table so take back my i, I was gonna do that and then i was just like forget it i'm gonna keep holding it he, he, yeah i'm gonna do that too and uh yeah you and i can commit right now here we're gonna do that and then when it is cut in half 50 percent next year or whatever we'll just talk each other off from selling at the bottom or whatever because because one thing when you look at it it's just like up and then it's totally another thing when you look at it and it's down uh down half like ooh. well and that's kind of why as my portfolio i love having procter and gamble uh united health Johnson, but by the way, my last point, I'm sorry if I'm all over the place here, but yeah. do you know what's been a really tough sector this year? What's that? That's going to be um, healthcare. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Johnson and Johnson shareholder and it's been a tough, you know, I'm a big uh, Johnson, Johnson, United health and uh, healthcare has been tough. Even mm -hmm. the, if I'm just going to, and I'll get your thoughts on this too, you know, and there it's good to have exposure to it. Um, I'm a big fan of the VHT, which is the Vanguard healthcare unit. Um, if we're going year to date, it's down 4%. It's been a good year for the market. It's down 4%. Johnson & Johnson, which I'm owner of. By the way, they're changing their logo. Did you see that? Mm. 158 years. They're changing the logo because after they sold off everything, Kenview got the yeah. first dividend. They're changing the logo so it 
because now they're going to be focusing more on um, pharmaceuticals and mm-hmm. medical devices and stuff. So they're trying to distance themselves from that year to date. Johnson and Johnson, they're down 10%. My last one, because I my only exposure is really, I want the big heavy hitters, United Health, Johnson and Johnson, um, United Health year to date down 2.4%. And then my v- VHT is down. We talked about the 4%. And my last one I have exposure to is Kenview, which is kind of hard to throw in there because it is just went had public. They're down 24%. Um, year, actually, yeah, year to date, 24%. Any thoughts on those companies? Um, maybe a little buy, sell, and hold to wrap up the show on those three. Yeah, the, um, like you, um, my uh, my healthcare is in um, is mostly in um, the toilet. Yeah, because of uh, United Healthcare. But when I look at my portfolio last year, it was also it was one of my best performing ones last year. And I can't help but think too that all those growth in tech stocks that got crushed last year that are up huge this year, it's just the inverse of that. That sometimes it is just as simple is that a calendar year can reset things for a lot of investors, and a sector that is up big one year will be down the next year, and uh, vice versa. And a lot of these companies we're talking about, nothing has changed with the fundamentals. I mean, Johnson and Johnson is still a staple, and they sell all these things that we use from Band Aid brand. Um, United Healthcare is still the biggest. Insurance no, they don't provider. have Band Aid brand anymore. That's the Kinview. All right, yep. the medical devices. So, like, uh, what is it? Titanium hips and stuff that they're uh, selling, and um, yep. United Healthcare with their um, insurance plans. And then the other one that I owned is uh, West Pharmaceutical. They make things mm. like the uh, disposal of uh, needles for injections. I mean. It's that simple. We've never talked about them. Uh, WST West West Pharmaceuticals. Mm, I um, actually, I think they're 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 up here today. But like a lot of sectors, there's stuff that's up and down. But uh, I just can't help but think that my real prevailing thought is that uh, healthcare overall last year had a much better year compared to things like uh, tech that was that was down huge. And now there's a bit of a rebound for tech, and uh, people are probably selling off uh, some of their profits and gains from from healthcare but nonetheless uh united healthcare is the one that i just look at is just that i mean things like insurance every year this is something people's insurance premiums are are going up are you getting the coverage that you need and i can't see what is going to change in that going forward for the foreseeable future that uh, future that actual healthcare and insurance are going to be important, especially as there's more advancements in uh, medicine and we're just as a, as a whole living, living longer. So let's do this to wrap up the pod, West Pharmaceutical Services, Johnson and Johnson, United Health. Buy, sell and hold those three. Well, seeing as I got two out of those three, I'll, I'll stick with those two. So I'm going to buy United Health. I'll hold West pharmaceuticals and i would just uh sell j and j but that's mm-hmm. no knock on j and j just i don't have it in my portfolio i'm guessing you're going to be probably the opposite on that yeah i'm probably um actually i'm buying well, yeah because you need united health too mm-hmm. yeah i just love it's kind of similar to that my example of there's no loan losses when you have um visa and mastercard with united mm-hmm. health correct me if i'm wrong but Things could happen, but they're not they're not relying on new um a new patent to come out, a new medicine, yeah. the new Alzheimer's medicine to come out. Also, I, I think there's less exposure to them having some ten billion dollar lawsuit, yes. um, something like that. So I kind of like to limit that exposure. United Health, um, I'm buy more of that. I'm buying that and I own that. I'm holding J and J. I'm just that's kind of my old school, just kind of you know how Buffett owns HP? I know he sold mm-hmm. a bunch, but you know, the HP kind of the, the Chevron J and J is my boring. I'm lumping that in J and J Procter and Gamble. Sorry for the long answer. They're really not big movers. Cisco, you could throw in there, but I love the big fat dividend and it helps me kind of sleep at night by having that balanced diversification of a portfolio of having NVIDIA, having a target, which is a dog, having a little bit of Shopify having a FedEx and then on the flip side, having Johnson, Johnson, Procter and Gamble and a um, Cisco kind of, I like to have some of those core staples in there. I guess I would probably would have put Walmart in there. So I'm holding J and J and I'm selling West pharmaceutical. Cause I don't really know anything about it except what you told me. And I don't they, like needles. How do, you, how do you like that? 
That is too. Um, United Healthcare is just it, it's a way to play the healthcare space as a whole. The same way that when I look at things like Visa or Mastercard, it covers so much. You could look at it as a way to play the entire financial space, but it's also a way you can look to play the entire um, consumer discretionary slash consumer staple space. I mean, more often than not, whether you're buying McDonald's, Starbucks, or you're going to Kroger or Target, you're slapping down a Visa or a MasterCard to, to make the purchase. And when I think about what healthcare is, whether you're the person that needs a titanium hip from Johnson & Johnson, or you're getting your blood drawn at the hospital and they're using um, West Pharmaceutical products, that you have some sort of healthcare plan that is helping manage the costs associated with, it's going to be billed back to your insurance provider. If there is something that goes wrong, you have insurance to protect you. So it just seems more all encompassing in the, um, in the healthcare space. So that's why, again, I think it's another way of saying it. it's probably why it's also on you and I are both having it on our, our, our buy list is it's just one of those ones that I think is, is all encompassing of, of healthcare. The last thing okay. I would say on this too, is that it also falls in insurance too. And I don't remember what I listened to that heard the, that I heard this on, but it, it has made me rethink about um, anything that is involved with insurance. And I don't remember what the interview I was listening to, but it was somebody that was um, that worked for a company that sold life insurance. And uh, basically the theme of the interview was how are you profitable selling something in life insurance when every single person is going to die? And it just kind of was a different way to think about it. If your product is based on ensuring something that is inevitable for 100% of the people that you're selling to, meaning that you are going to die at some point, how do you mitigate that risk and how do you make it profitable? And it just changed my my thought. And really the only thing that I have that is has real exposure to insurance is um, is United Health. And so it's a new way for me to think about uh, whether it's a company that sells uh, car insurance, life insurance, home insurance, or whatever it is that it is kind of an interesting business model that you are selling something that a lot of cases is going to happen. And in the case of life insurance is a hundred percent at some point, everybody that you've sold life insurance to is going to cash out that policy. Boy, that we, we went in a dark place there for a minute. That wasn't meant to be dark, but it is crazy. Just, How, I'm, I'm getting your heart it Here's is one thing to think about is like, if you, in most things, if you sold your product and knowing that a hundred percent of the time, the, the thing that you, you sold was going to, break and you were going to have to return it i mean you would think that that business model wouldn't work you know i i know i get what you're, that's a really actually a good point it's, yeah too quick i'm trying to stump you here we're looking at johnson johnson united health mm -hmm. one of the companies has 38 billion free cash flow and a gross profit of 86 billion the other one has 14 billion of cash flow and um oops i lost my place here so 14 billion versus 38 billion in cash flow and then gross revenue is 86 billion dollars i mean those numbers gosh and this is i, I know the in the, the other one's gross profit of 65 billion yeah which one's which i i mean i think the bigger one is united healthcare that's right yeah i mean they think about a... that that that's like apple numbers and it's Pretty in a space to too that's that's hard to interrupt too. Um, United Healthcare, the other big players, I think, in the space are Humana and Elevation Healthcare and um, Cigna. Et Cigna, Aetna, I think, got bought by somebody or whatever. But there's only a handful, so it's not as if somebody is coming in and reinventing the wheel today and saying, "I'm going to be a brand new um, managed healthcare company like that." So they're in a good Insta insurance, maybe Instacart, Insta Insurance. <laughs> that's it. I mean, there is the things like e-insurance or Lemonade is the one that's going to revolutionize things like home insurance and car insurance and pet insurance with with AI. And I mean, there probably is a niche there, but you're not becoming a brand new um, healthcare provider. At least I don't think. And really, uh, I can't wait for AI model. to replace you. That's going to be awesome. Just you talking to AI. You should do that. Get on chat GPT or something and uh, <laughs> just see if we could just talk how like you and I would just be like, oh, I don't even for the podcast anymore. I'll just program the questions and how would Nate answer this? All right, Nate, man. That's it for today. I'm, I'm toast. I'm done. I'm ready to relax. Yeah, enjoy the uh, rest of the uh, Sunday and uh, go go. Bears, Bears are it's thirty four to zero at halftime, so I think I'm gonna just 
keep refreshing my portfolio. They're they're down 34, uh, nothing. Yeah. Well, here's what you can always say. It's like, just maybe it's going to be like, uh, target. Um, what was the best all time combat? The, uh, the bills with uh with frank Wright. no that that still... broke last year what was it so what broke it last year uh minnesota broke the record i was thinking about you they were down 28 i think mm-hmm. and beat the colts so wasn't the uh, wasn't the oilers bills even more wasn't yeah it that was like... that that was one that was that used to be it for years and and then uh that changed last year yeah the other thing that blows me away too is that's the only time that frank Wright really played because in now in today's age, I feel that uh, come free agency or something, another team would have uh, picked him up or whatever and made the, right. made him their starting quarterback, whereas he still was the backup for the rest of his career. But then also, doesn't he have the uh, up until I don't know if it's going to be, but then he also have the biggest all time comeback in college football too. He was like right. a backup in for college Maryland. as well. Yeah. So was he Flutie's backup? No. Flutie, no, Flutie was Boston, Boston College. Yeah. Buy, sell, and hold. The Colts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, all right, man. I'll see well, you later. Good stuff. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, my man. Take it easy. Take care, man. If you have any questions about any of what we've talked about today or something we missed, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at 2 Stocks or on Gmail at 2 Stocks. And occasionally we post pictures on Instagram at 2 Stocks. And if you listen to us on a platform like Apple where you can leave a rating or review, please do so. It might help bump us up in the algorithm and get more listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening.